Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Bavaro. This is The Daily. Today, a Times investigation finds that as the local news industry collapses, a secretive network of pay-to-play news sites is seeking to take its place. My colleagues, Davey Alba and Jack Nickus, on the company trying to rewrite the rules of American journalism. It's Wednesday, October 28th. Ever since I was a little kid, I had a newspaper probably when I was six, and I would go up the street and interview. I I still remember there was like a lady from Sweden and an eye doctor and a priest from Ireland, and, and I would interview them and get their life stories and um, would put out my little newspaper. And then, you know, when I came of age, it was the Vietnam War. And I got into it, frankly, because I think, you know, truth is important. And I also, at that time, very naively, you know, I believed that people were uninformed. (laughs) And once they knew the truth, then they'd act differently. So, Davey and Jack, tell me about Pat Morris. So, Pat Morris is a 69-year-old freelance writer. She is Mm -hmm. now based in Newport Ritchie in Florida. Her entire career has been in journalism. So, I wound up writing for papers like the East Village Other, New York Ace, the Herald, those types of papers— I moved to Cincinnati and worked for an alternative paper called Everybody's News. She worked for a variety of alternative newspapers and also various local newspapers around the country. I was an editor for a Jewish newspaper called The American Israelite, which is, I I consider it a community paper, even though it's not a geographic community. Bouncing around different publications, including in North Carolina and even the Virgin Islands. And I I was really having a ball just writing what I wanted. And then did end up as a copy editor at the Florham Park Eagle in New Jersey and sort of thought that she would have a steady job there, but... I kind of took that job just in time for the financial collapse around Mm -hmm. 2008. 
I think the industry probably was collapsing 2007, 2008, and then the whole economy tanked. There were a lot of cutbacks and a lot of people who were laid off, and Pat Morris was one of them. So what does she end up doing after that? So after she gets laid off, she does a bunch of freelance jobs, and then in 2018 starts at a little-known company called Franklin Archer, which she eventually starts to think of as a content mill. And Jack, what exactly is a content mill? A content mill is a phenomenon in the internet age of journalism. Essentially, these are sites that churn out basic stories to generate clicks and sell ads. And it's everything from the sort of clickbait we see beneath a lot of news articles like, You'll never believe what these child celebrities look like now. I totally click on those. Yes. <laughs> to more basic articles for maybe trade publications, etc. And and these sorts of jobs are what a lot of journalists had to get into after the economic recession in 2008 because so many traditional journalism jobs, particularly at local newspapers, were disappearing. So Pat came across this job at Franklin Archer that just seemed like writing local news stories across the U.S. from, you know, where she lived in Florida. And so I applied and I got a job as copy editor. They said I'd be copy editing stuff from a variety of their clients. I thought that the clients were actual established entities that had contracted with Franklin Archer for content, which is what everybody does now, you know, because you don't have staff and you don't have reporters and you don't have journalism, you have content. So Pat understands that she has become a local news reporter for a company called Franklin Archer that sells her articles to a variety of different local newspapers across the country. Right, so maybe not the best thing for a local newspaper, especially if you're a reporter there, but pretty good for Pat Morris. Yeah, absolutely. You got paid on time, all the time. It was direct deposit, it was weekly, and then it became every other week. I never, I gotta say, I never had an issue. You know, it was just a big draw um, when you're a freelancer. You know, that you knew like every week you were going to have, even if it was just $100, you know, you knew you were going to have that, I think is very attractive to people. And what kinds of stories does that mean Pat ends up working on? Well, she works on a lot of just community-based stories. It, it wasn't hard news. It was all soft, featurey stuff. You know, the police department having human trafficking awareness programs, the fire department doing whatever the fire department did, um, recycling, this company that does recycles plastic bags into tables, you know, that kind of thing. Right, the kind of meat and potatoes of local news. Absolutely, yeah. But from the beginning, there were also signs that something was a little bit off about this job. They said a lot of the clients are conservative. Is that a problem for you? I remember specifically, I asked, well, what do you mean by conservative? You know, are you talking about white supremacist stuff? Are you talking about... And it was like, oh, no, 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 nothing like that. You know, but a lot of the... Again, it's the clients are you know, kind of pro-business. And I'm like, well, okay, I can, if it's pro-business, I can edit that, you know. She 
gets tons of assignments, chunks of them that are focused on local politicians, Republicans specifically. And she is really uncomfortable with the way it seems very one-sided to her. So she actually Mm -hmm. starts to turn down these assignments and try to Mm -hmm. do these very simple local pieces on the fire department and, you know, the community board meeting and things like that. But these sites turn out so much political content that it becomes hard to avoid for her. Mm -hmm. And at one point, she gets a rather interesting assignment. So Pat's assignment is copy editing this story about uh, class at the University of Illinois. It was um, this absolutely alarmist story about how a literature class was looking at a book that had sexual content. <laughs> and it was, oh, you know, ah, sexual content and, you know, in a college level literature course. And in an earlier draft of this story, there's a student that's so outraged by this that they dropped the course. So I thought that was pretty bizarre. And then as I read on, supposedly this student, unnamed student, was so traumatized by the whole thing that they they either quit the class or they quit school. And, you know, I'm reading it and I'm going, this is really weird. And Pat asks a very reasonable fact-checking question. So I um, went back to the reporter because I, you know, and said, well, can you identify these people, you know? How do you know that the student quit? Can you attribute... Mm -hmm this to a source. This mysterious student, you know, I heard about this student who quit. Well, who was it? You know, did they really quit? And the writer basically says, I can't attribute that fact in the story because this came directly from Brian. And I didn't know who Brian was. I think I said that. Well, who's Brian? (laughs) And I got back this thing from somebody else. Like, Brian is the company, what he wants... We want and it's uh, okay. So, who is Brian? Brian, she learns, is the top dog in this organization that she has a job at. And in an email, she actually hears from her assigning editor saying, Whatever Brian wants goes. And it didn't even seem odd to me because I had worked in another place where the line between editorial and business was very, very blurred. Mm-hmm. And did you ever find out more about who Brian was? Well, I was told, you know, Brian, then I got emails from Brian Timpone, so I knew his name, um, which is pretty much all I knew until I was contacted by the Times. So you got a call from us. Yeah. And why were you calling Pat? Well, we were reaching out to Pat because Davey and I were trying to talk to anyone who had ever worked for this guy, Brian Timponi. And that's because it turns out that Brian has got a lot more going on than Pat had realized. Brian is the man behind perhaps the biggest news operation you've never heard of. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Against the Current. My guest on this edition is Brian Timponi. And... Brian got his start in news as a reporter for TV stations in Illinois. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dan. Mm-hmm. But eventually he decided he didn't want to just report the news. He wanted to be a newspaper publisher. I mean, media, as it's perceived, is uh, And so he bought some community newspapers in Illinois, and he started to see pretty early on the signs of 
collapse in the journalism industry, and particularly in local news. The, the problem with, with old traditional media uh, today is that a lot of them produce uh, as if we were in the previous era. Uh, they produce the same types of content that, that worked in that previous era. And because of inertia, it stays. You know, my, so he decided that he was going to capitalize on that. And he started a company called Journatic. And this company essentially is designed to outsource the local news reporting for many of the big city papers around the country. So what's your system? Your system is, I mean, essentially you're arguing that major urban dailies should outsource their news production to you. I don't, I don't think they should all outsource their news production. Well, what, what, but isn't that what you do? Community news, because they can't do it themselves. Okay. Um, I but, think, but describe that. I mean, how, how can you and your group of writers... Right. Do it for a 20th of the cost? Yeah. How? To because do that, he develops some rudimentary software that turns public records into little snippets of news. Mm-hmm. And then he also hires a team of reporters to cover communities remotely. And to Brian, the idea here is local news is dying. And the old business model is not sustainable in the age of the internet. And this is a lower cost model to still provide local news to small towns and cities across the nation. Mm -hmm. And to do that, Brian is selling this local news content to legacy news organizations like the Chicago Tribune and the Houston Chronicle, who themselves are trying to cut their costs. Mm -hmm. And so how does it go? So it's going pretty well for Brian Timponi at this point. So much so that the Chicago Tribune actually fires its staff that covers the Chicago suburbs and Mm. uses Brian Timponi's operation to cover the suburbs. But then... You have that thought, what other jobs can we possibly outsource to people far away at this point? Sarah Canning tells this story of a fairly recent addition to the list of jobs. Back in November, the radio program This American Life comes in and does a show that reveals that in a lot of cases... The reporter's name on the story is Ginny Cox. But there is no Ginny Cox. Or even if there is a Ginny Cox somewhere out there, she didn't write this story. These stories are being written by people in the Philippines, and they get paid much less than an American writer would get paid to do these stories. And in a lot of these cases, they are also publishing under fake bylines. Jeez. Some other fake names that have made their way onto the news sites of Dramatics clients in the real estate sections. Carrie Reed, Amy Anderson, Jay Brownstown, Christine Scott, Betty Virginia, So Sam the Anderson, clients of Brian are really outraged and say, you know, this is not what we're paying for. This is not what we signed up for. So they basically pull out of the deals with Brian and the whole operation kind of crashes and burns. So now Brian Timponi is facing failure, but from the ashes of Jernatic, he comes up with this new idea. And Mm -hmm. this new idea is bigger and it's bolder and it involves an entirely new business model. And it all starts now with a web of companies That includes Franklin Archer. And how exactly is it different from Journatic? What's different this time around? It's different in a couple of key ways. 
A, the writers in this network are now American freelancers, uh, no longer mm -hmm. the Filipino workers abroad. And B, the news articles that they're producing are for websites that look like local news, but are actually primarily controlled by Brian Timponi himself and appear to be based around the U.S. Huh. And so what are they like? Well... I think I should just show you. It's probably easiest. Okay. So let's go to a website called Thumb Reporter, thumbreporter.com. <laughs> and, um, okay, let me type that in. And Thumb is actually a, a region of Michigan. The, the lower peninsula of Michigan is kind of shaped like a mitten. And mm -hmm. the thumb of Michigan is just north of Detroit, east of the Tri Cities in Michigan. Okay. So you there, thumbreporter.com? Yeah, I'm on thumbreporter.com. My first observation is that it looks like a regular local news website. A lot of news stories, a lot of political news stories. Yeah, it's and it's a pretty clean, simple layout. It doesn't look real clickbaity or anything. It's, you know, pretty basic layout with some photos of politicians. And there's a good amount of content as you scroll down. Um, yeah, there's about, about 12 articles on this first screen. Right. I mean, I guess, you know, at the outset, let's just take stock of some of these headlines the top headline is about this local Republican lawmaker who's praising a court order that struck down the Democratic governor's COVID policies. Mm -hmm. Then there's another headline about a different Republican lawmaker complaining that Michigan should fully reopen the economy. There's another headline about one of the same Republican lawmakers passing four bills. Um, another headline about a Republican lawmaker who's going to help local farmers and then another headline about a Republican lawmaker who's talking about voter fraud. Hmm. And I think I'm seeing a clear trend here. Lots of coverage of Republicans, lots of positive coverage of Republicans. Yes. And there is, though, one story about a Democrat. And the headline is Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer gets F grade for fiscal management. And it's a report about this <laughs> study from the libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute. And... This is a trend that Pat saw in her assignments for Franklin Archer, and it's a trend that we're seeing across mm -hmm. the board on websites run by Ryan Timponi. Hmm. And this is just one example of a website in the network. What we found is that there are almost 1,300 websites like wow. this, and they're in all 50 states. And do all these websites take this approach of positively covering Republicans in general and negatively covering Democrats? Pretty much, yeah. But there are some innocuous articles on these websites, too. And these just are straight news articles about the local community. But they seem to be in service of adding legitimacy and to make the sites look more neutral than they really are. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped 1 million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more. So what exactly is going on here? I mean, how should we be thinking about what 
this latest Brian Timponi news operation is. Because as I said earlier, this does not seem like what someone like Pat Morris thought they were signing up for. What exactly is this? So Davey and I set out to answer that very question. And after many months of reporting, we found out that this is not a traditional journalism outfit. In fact, it is a pay-for-play operation. Mm. And in many cases, we found evidence of a money trail where a good chunk of the funding for these sites, traceable in public records, are payments from political groups and campaigns. Wow. That is very untraditional journalism, if it can even be called journalism. It certainly is. And it helps explain why you see some of the slant that we just saw on that news website. And essentially, you know, some of what we found through uh, thousands of internal emails and also the editing history behind dozens of stories was an operation in which some of these groups, political groups or PR professionals, actually pitch or order the stories to Timponi's network. And they file what is called a lead in which they give instructions on what the story should be about, who the reporter should talk to, what questions Mm. they should ask. And then after the story is published, we even found some instances in emails in which these so-called story watchers, as these clients are called, are able to even dictate edits after publication if they wanted the story to be more pointed or focus on something more. And so, as you noted, this is almost the antithesis of the journalism ethics that most news organizations would abide by. Right. It's actually essentially a propaganda network. Mm. So just so I have this straight, Republican candidates, conservative donors, are paying money to Brian Timponi's company. And as part of that transaction, they can ask for coverage, they can monitor coverage, they can get involved in shaping it, who is talked to for that coverage— that's what's going on here. In some cases, that's exactly what we found. And is any of this disclosed to the reader? Virtually none of these sites have those kinds of disclosures. In fact, mm-hmm. the sites go out of their way to state that they are objective and fair and unbiased in their coverage. And then at the same time that these descriptions are on the sites, We have seen internal emails where assigning editors are telling their freelance writers not to focus any article on a Democratic lawmaker or bill Hmm. because their clients are Republicans. Wow. I wonder, Jack, if you can give me an example of how this pay-to-play system works. Kind of break down an example for me. Sure. So... One of the most compelling examples we found was around an article on a website called Maine Business Daily. Mm -hmm. And this article is about one of the most hotly contested and nationally important Senate races in November. It's between Republican Senator Susan Collins and her Democratic challenger, Sarah Gideon. Mm -hmm. So what we found is the reporter who wrote this story did so according to clear instructions from a Republican operative who has worked for the Senate Leadership Fund, a PAC that has spent nearly $10 million attacking Sarah Gideon in this cycle. And that operative gave clear instructions to the reporter 
to write that Sarah Gideon was a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And we even found in internal emails that the operative requested edits to the story after it was first published. And the resulting story was based solely on accusations from the Senator Collins campaign and never included comment from Sarah Gideon. It sounds like this Republican operative got exactly the story he wanted, slamming the Democratic candidate for United States Senate for being two-faced. Indeed. And he not only got this story, but we also found his fingerprints on a number of stories about this Senate race in Maine and also the Senate race in South Carolina with Lindsey Graham and in Missouri with Roy Blunt. Hmm. And what about the story that you told me about earlier, the one Pat was copy-editing, about the literature class at the University of Illinois? That article is not a clear-cut pay-to-play situation, as far as we can tell. But we do know a few things. What we found in emails is that Jeannie Ives, a Republican candidate for the U.S. House in Illinois, actually corresponded with Brian Timponi, to get the story written. We also know from public documents that Jeannie Ives has paid Tim Pony's companies $55,000, according to Mm. state and federal records over the past three years. I do want to note that I did reach Jeannie Ives, and she told me that those payments to Brian were for website design and Facebook ads, and that she doesn't pay to plant stories. And Jack, were you able to understand why... Jeannie Ives, local Republican political candidate, cared about a literature class at the University of Illinois? In this particular case, we don't. We're unsure whether this is a personal or ideological issue for her, but it's almost beside the point because what's important for us here is to understand how, probably because of her payments to Brian Timponi, she is able to get her pet issues published on his sites. And Michael, these are just two examples that we've spoken about, but this is what the network does. They put out stories like this, and over 17 days in July, we saw around 200 stories that were ordered up by these Republican operatives and corporate Mm. PR firms. That's pretty staggering. This is clearly very dubious as a journalistic practice. I mean, very dubious. Is any of it illegal? It's unclear whether any of this is actually breaking the law. What Mm -hmm. you can say about it is that it violates our, you know, deeply held sense of what is ethical in journalism. And it eschews these traditional hallmarks of journalism of fairness and transparency. Legally speaking, the Federal Trade Commission requires that articles that are funded be clearly labeled as ads. Mm -hmm. And so it is possible in many of these cases where you have articles that are paid for and ordered up, under federal rules, these should include disclosures. And Mm -hmm. in almost every case we found, there was no such labels. Mm -hmm. How does Brian Timponi explain what he's doing here, both ethically from a journalistic standpoint and legally? Well, Brian would not talk to us. We we tried calling him, texting him, leaving him voicemails, emailing him. I even left a note at his home, mm. but we didn't get any response. But what he has said in past interviews and in public appearances is that he believes this represents a local news business model that is more sustainable than the traditional model, mm-hmm. which is clearly struggling. 
And I just want to jump in here and say something that might seem obvious, but journalism is really expensive. Mm -hmm. About 2,100 newspapers have folded across the country since 2004, Mm -hmm. which is a 25% decline. Almost all local newspapers. Right. And what's also really interesting here is that Brian said in an interview in September with the Deseret News, which is a Utah news outlet, that he has a reason for trying to save local news. And it's not ideological. Hmm. It's actually because he believes this is a way to save the country. And let me read you his quote in full. Mm -hmm. He said, quote, we believe the disappearance of community news has contributed to a marked decline in civility in America. Hmm. When Americans know about their neighbor's wedding anniversaries, their work promotions, and their children making the honor roll at school or earning junior high basketball accolades, they are less likely to caricature and typecast each other over political issues. Hmm. And what he's basically saying is that local news helps you know your neighbors, and with that, you're less likely to hate each other. Hmm. It's fascinating to me that he sees this approach as a force for civility, because what seems so problematic about it, beyond the lack of transparency and the ethical challenges, is that this model injects partisanship into local news. And we have that already in our national news in abundance. You know, think of Fox News on the conservative side, think of MSNBC on the liberal side. And we kind of know where that leads. It leads to a profound polarization in our national discourse. And yet the local news has remained, for the most part, a bastion of objective news telling, right? This kind of sacred, untouched corner of the news industry. And stories coming out of the local school board, of a local police department, or your kid's soccer game, those are told as kind of straight news. But if Brian Timponi succeeds in making this the future of local news, then that version of local journalism goes away. Right. And in our reporting we saw that there are similar efforts on both the right and the left to create similar partisan local news outlets. And I'll note that these are not as ambitious and they don't have the scale of Brian's operation. But nevertheless, we have long heard about the death of local news. And and often we have heard about that in the context of predictions that no one will be watching at City Hall and there will be corruption and a lack of accountability. But instead of a pure death of local news, I think what we've seen here is... Uh, a rushing in of partisan interests and uh, national money. And that has led to this more partisan version of local news, which could make civility impossible in cities and towns across the country. And Michael, it's worth adding that the reason anyone knows about this story at all is because of a report in a local newspaper called the Lansing State Journal in Michigan, They were the ones that first raised questions about these sites. Hmm. And then that led to several other in-depth stories, like in the Columbia Journalism Review, and it also led to our investigation. And there's something that feels very apt about that, the fact that it was good local journalism that uncovered this kind of twisted version of local journalism Hmm. here. That's the work that's at stake. Because, you know... Brian Timponi has said in a recent interview that he plans to create 15,000 more websites like this. Mm. This is only going to get bigger. 
Davy and Jack, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You know, I started Googling, and it was just like a medicine ball in my stomach. It was defrauding people like me as to what our work was being used for, and it was defrauding readers into thinking that, you know, that they were reading a local, honest publication that they could trust. And are you still working for Franklin Archer? No, I am not. I always went for the things that I thought had integrity. And community journalism, you know, which I feel very, very strongly about, is stuff that I did because I believed in it, even if it was small-town stuff, you know. Small-town stuff is important. You want to know where your water comes from, you know. Is there stuff in your water? Why'd my cable bill double? So I, I would never, ever, ever write for, you know, anybody who is deliberately deceiving people and, and entire groups of people, you know for profit. We'll be right back. This month, new originals, new episodes. Stream all your favorites with the Disney Bundle. On Disney Plus, watch Star Wars The Bad Batch and High School Musical The Musical The Series. On Hulu, originals like The Handmaid's Tale and Shrill. And on ESPN Plus, new episodes of Stephen A's World and The Best of MLB. Sign up at thedisneybundle.com. Includes Hulu ad-supported or Hulu no ads. Access content from each service separately. And select ESPN Plus content via Hulu. Terms apply. Copyright 2021 Disney and its related entities. Here's what else you need to know today. Data released on Tuesday from the crucial swing state of Florida shows that 6.4 million people have already voted in the state, more than two-thirds the number who voted in the entire 2016 election. The data shows that Democrats initially built up an advantage by mailing in far more ballots than Republicans, but that Republicans have begun eating into Democrats' lead by casting more early in-person votes. Nationwide, as of Tuesday afternoon, more than 69.5 million Americans had already mailed in their ballots or voted early in person, a record high early vote. And... Let me say this. I lived in the White House for a while. Yo, it's a controlled environment. You can take some preventive measures in the White House to avoid getting sick. Former President Barack Obama, who has avoided direct criticism of President Trump for much of the past four years, delivered his most stinging and personal rebuke yet on Tuesday during a rally in Florida. Except this guy can't seem to do it. He's turned the White House into a hot zone. Obama, campaigning for Joe Biden, expressed bewilderment that Trump had contracted the virus and dismay at the way Trump has talked about the pandemic. And what's his closing argument? That people are too focused on COVID. He said this at one of his rallies. COVID, 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 he's complaining. He's jealous of COVID's media coverage. 
That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.